At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Green Rope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Fetchdock, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. It's that time of year again. You need to file your taxes. For many people, the word taxes brings on an instant headache. What's deductible? What's not? What's changed for the current year? The tax code is thousands of pages long. Who has time to figure it all out? Thankfully, Get Help Tax and Bookkeeping has a solution for you. Simply complete a brief questionnaire online, and one of our IRS-authorized tax professionals will prepare and file your return. It's fast and easy. Call 914-467-9271 to get started. If you need help, get help. I'm so excited. I finally finished my screenplay. Cool. Does your agent like it? I don't have an agent. And I don't know any fancy Hollywood producers to help me. You should submit this script to Palooza. The screenplay competition? Yeah. They've been around for over 20 years. The top screenplays get promoted for a full year. They connect undiscovered writers with producers who are looking for fresh voices. Cool. First place prize is ten grand. Ten thousand dollars. That's right. Plus screenwriting software from Wright Brothers. Well, who's doing the judging? People in development at production companies. Well, they must be doing something right if they're around for over twenty years. Man, what a great idea! Scriptapalooza. Check out their website at script, a p a l o o z a dot com. They have a ton of success stories from writers just like us. Us? Yeah, I submitted yesterday. I don't want to miss the deadline. When is the last time you've actually watched a movie and went and read a book that was written about the lessons in a movie? Well, I want to introduce you to a book that is written by Jack Cogra. This book is called 26 Life and Business Lessons from the Black Panther Movie. Yes, as a reader, here's what you're going to learn. Maintaining focus, time management, loyalty, impact of our actions, importance of embracing diversity, and the effect of oppressive forces. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to take a moment, go to Amazon, and look up 26 Life and Business Lessons from the Black Panther Movie by author Jack Cogra. What is your goal for 2018? Earn more money? More time for your family or yourself? We offer you a solution. Be your own boss. To learn more, please go to our website, www.runerinder.com. We look forward to having you as an Erinder. Now, let's listen to this week's episode. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome. Is this your first time? If it is, welcome. Thank you. I would love to learn how you found this show, but you probably found it because this is part two of a really interesting guest that we have for the CEO and the brain trust of Menlo Inc., Richard Sheridan himself. Yes, he is on our show. Now, listen, you do not want to miss this by far. So if you're just coming on, welcome. But I would highly suggest you go back and listen to part one of this incredible interview. Without further ado, I'm going to shut up and stop talking because I think you really came here for one thing and one thing only, and that's great interviews. Here's part two of my interview with Richard Sheraton, the CDO of Menlo Inc. Take a listen. One of the things that I've always praised baby boomers about is that baby boomers are uh, great about, you know, first of all, I, I feel like one of the, the biggest things that really shaped baby boomers had a lot to do with World War II. I think a lot, a lot had to do with, um, you know, a lot of the world wars kind of just ending and, and, and America was in a, in a situation that said, now what, right? <laughs> We're no longer doing that. People are coming home. And I, I feel like that whole moment kind of shaped what baby boomers would ultimately have. And then having to shift gears and focus and work became a thing. And now that was the new area where, where men, uh, primarily put a lot of their, pride into right with baby boomers uh with, with millennials na digital natives you know uh purpose to your point due to 9-11 and, and a few other you know events that that kind of happened out there where do you see baby boomers and millennials struggle when it comes to working together in an office space or whether it be right now which is there's a lot of boomers who are still in senior executive positions but a lot of millennials are starting to knock on those doors and even you know change some of the cultures for companies where do you see some of those struggles between both generations and what would you say you know both need to kind of think about when you start talking about your place of work yeah i think <laughs> The, the intersection between the greatest generation that came out of the World War II era, uh, who were our parents, right, right? And then the boomers, uh, and then now the millennials. I think it's an interesting progression uh, that also mirrors itself in the business world itself. So I, I think we can tie both of those things together. Um, you come out of this military kind of organization, and quite frankly, most of us boomers, I think I was probably pretty fortunate in this regard, but I can tell you, I know a lot of my friends uh, were ruled at home with an iron fist mm -hmm. or belt. Uh, and uh, that was never the case for me. I was brought up in a very loving household, so I think I was very fortunate, but I know a lot of my friends uh, would come to school with a welt on their body or, uh, or some kind of mark on them, and everybody knew where it came from, and nobody was even questioning that that was the right way to raise children. Absolutely, yeah. And so that fear-based mentality of how we're going to raise kids translated right into the workplace. And I, I experienced that directly. The, the senior leaders who were over me who had come out of that generation uh, managed me with fear. Wow. You know, it motivated me with fear, uh, the raised eyebrow in a meeting, the, hey, Chris, are you coming in this weekend? Wow. Right? Yeah. And so, um, and of course, when you're an impressionable, you know, young leader, when I was in my early 20s to maybe early 30s, 
you imprint on the people who are leading you. That's right. Yeah. You, you have no other example. You know, you aren't sent away to some leadership academy to figure out how to lead, right? right? You just depend on the guy who's leading you. And so, you know, I mean, a simple thing, if they do Monday morning status meetings, you do Monday morning status meetings. That's right. Right? And if, if, if they're pointing fingers at people around the room, you're pointing fingers at people around the room. Right. And so, uh, so many of us were raised in that environment. Well, unfortunately, the world started changing in a pretty dramatic way, largely because of technology. And, um, you know, the technology started lowering barriers to entry in, in world markets that started transforming how business gets done. And suddenly we got into an age right about the time the millennials are, are really coming of age and to enter the workforce where the most important traits we could bring to the workforce are creativity, imagination, invention, innovation and human energy. Mm. Well, I'll tell you. The first thing that gets squished in a fear-based environment is that. Wow, wow. And so if us boomers are still through the echo of the earlier generation leading our teams with fear-based management systems, we will lose the most important element that will keep us competitive in our businesses today. So what's, what's at work here, and this is actually the subject of my next book, is how do great leaders elevate human energy and eliminate fear. Mm. And so we have to change as leaders. So the, what's on the shoulders of the boomers who are leading these organizations is we have to look into our own hearts and souls and figure out a different way to lead people. Boomers or, or millennials or, or even the generation that follows them. And if we want to compete in the world market as it exists today, mm -hmm. keep our teams, including our millennials, in that most human space, in that prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that gets shut down when we're uh, afraid, when we've got adrenaline and cortisol coursing through our bloodstream, uh, when we're in reptile brain mode. Yeah. You know, we're only in fight or flight mode. We lose the most human part of us. And that is the part that, um, you know, is, is that creative, energetic, innovative, inventive part. And that's what's gonna keep our organizations um, Thriving, it's what is going to keep them competitive. And quite frankly, it's what's going to allow us to attract the talent we need to keep ourselves going. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you bring up um, some really good points because um, if anything, as a millennial, I will say for myself and speaking for our generation here, um, we tend to wear our hearts on our sleeves and we do care about a lot of things. I mean, um, thankfully, social media came around because I think one thing as 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 much as I am not a person who lives and dies and breathes by it, um, I think it's great that you get a lens into the generation on how what things generations care about, what things ultimately people really want to shine a light to. Um, I think that has been something that had you not had a a resistor of a millennial saying, no, I will not be managed by fear. No, I will not come work for your company just because of this salary or this or whatever. Right. Uh, and, you know, we tell people all the time, you know, in, in organizations, you know, people don't quit jobs. They quit people. So you can always tie why somebody is leaving to a particular situation, a culture, a ecosystem, an ethos that is running per permanent through a, a particular team. Right. 
And so, you know, millennials have kind of created this 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 space where, to your point, and I I, I can't wait to read your book. We've now got to come face to face with that demon, and and there's actually something to do about it. And Menlo has provided a lot of that those answers uh, to companies. And so one of my questions is is that why would why would some people and and just so we don't lose anybody here, share a little bit quickly about you know what Menlo is and what Menlo does. But then also why would some people find Menlo hard to believe could work in a larger organization? Yeah, so it's always funny. We get people that come on tours here. We have about three to 4,000 people a year come through our doors just to see how we do what we do. And a lot of times I'll get done with a tour and somebody will ask me and say, now what do you do here? <laughs> uh, so what we are, uh, Chris, is we are a software design and development firm. People come to us. If you have an idea in your head and have a little bit of money in your wallet, you could come to us and we would form a team around your idea, design the software, and build it. Okay, so a lot of corporations come to us, large organizations, small organizations, startup companies. We work in all kinds of domains and industries. And so we're working, uh, we named ourselves after Edison's Menlo Park, New Jersey lab. He called that an invention factory. In many ways, that's what we are. Okay. We're a software invention factory. People come to us and say, we want you to invent X, Y, or Z, and we build a team around it, and we do that. And all the processes that drive us are used to, um, uh, to create that great software experience. You might imagine uh, from the earlier description, there's two things I really wanted from this. We want to delight the people we intend to serve who are the end users of the software with a great experience, and we want to do it with really solid working software. Mm -hmm. so works without emergency and without fanfare. And so that's our central core business is designing and developing software. You can still see people behind me. That's what they're doing behind me right now. Um, the, um, uh, but these people who come and visit, many of them are from the largest organizations on the planet. And uh, what we'll often hear uh, on those visits is someone will say, oh, I get it. I see why this works for you, but it would never work for us because we're too, and then fill in the blank. Right, we're so unique, quote unquote. <laughs> we're, we're, we're too old, we're too new, we're too regulated, we're too unregulated, we're too governmental, we're too you know private. Um, we're a public company, we could never do this. And I can tell you that every piece and part of our system exists somewhere in a great organization. There's. You know, Almost everything, we've, we've pulled threads from other companies, or from other ideas, from other authors, uh, who, and we've knitted them all together. There's nothing I don't think about Menlo that is unique just because of our size or because of our industry. And we have literally seen change, dramatic change, in organizations as large as Mass Mutual Corporation, a $30 billion a year, 169-year-old life insurance company inside of General Electric Corporation, you know, that just got bounced off the Dow, which is really sad for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because that company was founded by Thomas Edison. Um, and so, uh, so in the fact matter is, Chris, and this is an important thing for your listeners to think about. No organization is uh, of any size is a, is a single entity. As soon as you get into thousands of employees, <coughs> 
you're a bunch of little 50-person, 100-person fiefdoms right. that all have common flag. So my encouragement to your listeners is you don't have to change all of General Electric Corporation to succeed where you are. Just change your world. Change the world around you. And if you change it dramatically enough, others inside your own organization are going to want to come see what you're doing. That's right. They're going to want what you're having. They're going to say, how did you get to be this person that did this? And I think the other stuff, when we say, well, we're too fill in the blank, we're too big, we're too old, we're too profit focused, we're too this. Those are really convenient excuses to cover up what's in your own heart about what changes you want to make in your personal life as it's affected by work. Wow. And, and OK, so, man, we could do this for three hours. So you did <laughs> because because. Well, <laughs> right. Well, one of the things that I think people. I hear this a lot from executives when I talk to them. Um, a new idea comes in. Let's take Agile, for example, right? Uh, older waterfall companies hear about Agile and they're like, yes, yes, I want it. Because in yep. their brain, all they hear is, I'm going to get my stuff faster. I yes. get other people will do what I want faster. And yeah. what, what, what executives, and I, I, I try to, uh, man, I stand on the soapbox about this all the time. As an executive, you have to stop making it about other people. You will experience, if you really want high-performance teams, you will have to go as, go through just as much change as the people on those scrum teams or whatever the case may be. And I think a lot of leaders forget there is just much personal awareness and change and decision-making that you have to make change when you start talking about changing cultures or a 50-group team to 50,000, right? If you scale it in those 50 to 100-group teams, that's about you, the leader. It, it, the execution is easy, but the work internally is hard. And so, I, man, I swear we can psychoanalyze a lot of that stuff. And I'm, maybe one day we'll have to have you back. And... Let, me, let me offer an encouraging <laughs> thought to those that are confronting that kind of change. Yeah. It's, it's about changing your behaviors, I'm going to declare, because I'm a very optimistic person. It's not about changing who you are. In fact, right. I would even declare it's more about getting in touch with who you are, which is where I had to get to. Absolutely. You know, when people come in and visit, I'll, I'll often catch them early on in a, in a tour that I'm leading. And I'll look in their eyes and I can see, you know, I've said something that's really caught their attention. And I stop and I say, you know what? I can see the thought bubbles over your heads. You're, you're sitting there saying, you go, Rich. You, you tell them they need to hear this. They, they so need to change. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, you need to change. Yeah, yeah. I needed to change. I needed to become a different kind of leader than I had learned to become. I didn't have to become a different kind of person. Right. But I sure as heck needed to change my leadership behaviors. Well, and the truth is, right, People really think you can just take the, the the you that is at home and walk through that turnstile and drop it off on a coat rack when you walk into work and you you you're a different person. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're you're actually masking. If you rule by fear and an iron sword and an iron fist, you're actually masking the human element of you. And all people want is to be heard and feel valued. And if you choose every day as a leader to not give people that you're not getting the best out of people. You're not getting high performance out of anybody. And unfortunately, and you know this Richard far better than I do. We're still incentivizing that behavior by dollars 
and by the way we you, you know we move people up the ladder right and I, it's it, it it sucks i believe it's changing i believe i believe you know everything is like you know slow right turning the titanic but those sort of behaviors and in, the way we incentivize and what we incentivize for rolls downhill and it speaks volumes and it's it, it's a sad state but i'm so glad that you're writing a book to address the heart of the matter of, of an executive because being an executive and how you treat people has nothing to do with what generation you're in. It has everything to do with you. And yeah, we, we have a very common poster on the wall here. It's the only poster we have multiple copies of everywhere. And it says, your world is perfectly organized to create the behavior you are currently experiencing. Interesting. Wow. Say, say that again, because I think we're going to, yeah, say that again. That's good. <laughs> Your world is perfectly organized to create the behavior you are currently experiencing. Wow. So, so for example, you know, let's take a, you know, you can decide whether you want to leave this in your podcast or not. <laughs> but let's take the example of Wells Fargo. Sure. Right? I mean, here's tens of thousands of employees misbehaving almost on a criminal level. Yeah. Why? Because they created this incentive system and the word spread like wildfire, I know how to make more commissions. I can fake create account, do one little transaction so the account is legitimized and then close the account and I get a commission on that. And if I do that a thousand times, I get a thousand times the commission. And why? Because they created the incentive system. Their That's world right. was perfectly organized to create those behaviors. And so we as leaders, need to need to figure out that, that you know if, if if we're almost like a sometimes i think leaders feel like pharmacists right where yeah. well, you come to the counter you describe to me you know <laughs> the doctor and you're like i've got this condition like oh i've got a pill for that and <laughs> right. give it to you right it's not that easy yeah and you know this is this is the work of leadership this is the heart of leadership this is in fact the joy of leadership is how do I actually lead a team of human beings to a better conclusion? And, uh, you know, I think it's exciting. Uh, it's what energizes me every single day. And I think it is the opportunity that exists in front of everybody on this podcast who is either a leader today or is hoping to become a leader tomorrow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, before we run out of time, we have about 10 minutes left. And I, I, man, there's so many things that I want to pack, but there's a couple of questions I definitely want to, I, I want to ask you about. We're, we're talking about leaders and we're talking about, you know, some of the executives, but uh, there is a version of leadership that exists in a lot of large core organizations today. And that is middle management. Mm -hmm. um, I would almost say that middle management also has a lot to do with what we've just been recently discussing. Um, and and it's because some people have who have been led by fear are now in a position to rule by the same thing that made them successful, right? Um, as organizations become a little flatter, how important uh, does middle management become, or is that role starting to cease to exist? And 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 how and you know. What does Menlo do when, when you get approached by these worldwide companies and you see this layer and you go, ooh, um, <laughs> here's where we got to start as opposed to whatever they thought, <laughs> you know, the, the, the real, their, their quote unquote, their real problem was? I think the opportunity for that layer, uh, and it's going to exist 
for time immemorial. We we don't have it here at Menlo, but you know, that's a that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, but you're not going to eliminate that layer in large organizations. I think what you, the opportunity that exists, though, is you can extend its um, its leverage in a positive way. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, often layers of mineral management, either layers you know from top to bottom or the breadth of those layers, have to get multiplied simply because the bureaucracy requires it. Wow. You, you, and um, uh, in effect, when you start elevating the human energy of your team, if you start eliminating fear, if you start communicating a strong purpose to your team, your frontline workers will become their own middle managers. They will lead themselves. Yeah. And and all of a sudden you don't need as much oversight. Uh, you could stop doing potentially, like many corporations have, annual performance reviews. Right. Uh, you know, you can stop thinking about the clever incentivizing systems that often lead to bad behaviors rather than good ones. Uh, because ultimately, I think, you know, you, a lot of this theme of our talk today was how do we attract millennials? Uh, how do we how do we not only attract them but and retain them, but how do we get the most out of them when they're here? And it's not about work faster, work harder. It's about aligning their hearts with the purpose of your organization. And if it's a worthy purpose that they believe in, they'll start coming in a little bit earlier. They'll have a spring in their step. Uh, they'll start taking initiatives where they don't need to be commanded to do so. And, and suddenly you realize, wow, I, I don't need to hire as many layers of management. Yeah. You, you know, you bring and you bring up a good point because I think um, because we've incentivized by fear and you teach people to do that. And so they continue to do that. I think also there's a portion of 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 those internally who feel like the only way they're successful is by how many people they rule, how many oh, yeah. people they tell what to do. Um, and, and, and what I see is happening is, uh, agile as a, as a mindset is, is, is definitely kind of helping companies learn this. But I think what happens is the more companies get flatter and the more response psychological responsibility you start putting on, on team members who are closest to the work, um, people get afraid of, well, you're taking away my, my thing, right? You're taking away what I've learned. Um, there's a great video, which I'm sure you probably know all too well, David Marquette's um, uh, greatness video. Uh, we'll put a link in the description uh, below, but... It's a good friend of mine. Oh, okay. He's <laughs> been Menlo, and we often dual keynote conferences. So, yeah, I know David very well. I love that video because him talking about intent, and I think that's the part that's hardest for managers and leaders, is to just learn to communicate the intent but let people self-organize around how they're going to deliver said intent and of course that's a whole nother conversation well and, and let's be clear yeah because this is really the point you bring up is fundamentally important to your listeners absolutely david did this inside the navy inside of a nuclear submarine <laughs> right <Okay. laughs> 
So if you can tell me there's some organs that, well, you know, we're, we're bigger than that or we're, we're, we're on a more important mission or something. Or no, you're not. It's more complicated. <laughs> it was inside the Navy in a nuclear submarine. All right. Okay, so <laughs> let's be very clear that if David can do it, there's no excuse you can't do it, too. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing, uh, you know, that, that he was able to pull that off. And, oh, by the way, other areas are starting to ask, you know what, how can we do that as well in the military? So it, it's really good. So a couple last questions. Um, I, I want you to give everybody a, a peek into um, the culture of Menlo through one particular item. Uh, Enjoy, Inc., um, your, your, your uh, last book, um, it, was, it was pretty cool to talk about Menlo babies. And I know people probably have no idea what the heck that is, uh, but... Share with everyone what Menlo Babies is and how, how that came to be and 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 why that added to a, a positive uh, approach to, to, to the company. I just want to give everybody like a, a sneak peek of what it's like uh, inside of, of Menlo from a practical standpoint with this one. Yeah, and this uh, this will tie into another important element of Menlo's culture, and that is storytelling. Uh, because the way to foster and maintain and sustain and extend an existing culture is through capturing and curating your best stories and telling them over and over again. So what I'm going to do to close this out here is I'm going to tell a story about Menlo babies. And, uh, and the point isn't so much about the babies because uh, there's something we do here you may not be able to do at your own organization. I get that. So it's not about, well, we can't do that, so therefore it won't work for us. The central theme in the story I'm going to call, tell you is what drives our culture. And it's a simple phrase here, run the experiment. Hmm. See, there's too many times where we have an idea inside of organizations and somebody's, oh, that won't work here. You know, HR won't approve that. And um, in this story, what I'm going to confirm for you is that there are many reasons we shouldn't do things. And then we find out we go do them, we try them, we find out it actually worked far better than we thought it would. Wow. So, uh, 11 years ago, Tracy had little Maggie, and um, she was off on maternity leave, and she was ready to come back to work. And she came to me and she said, Rich, I want to join the new project that's starting. I'm excited about it, but we have a problem at home. The daycare we plan to use is full, and grandparents live too far away to help. Mm. Now, in that moment, there was a screaming match that went on in my brain that Tracy never heard. Uh, and it was one of those dark voice, bright voice screaming matches. And, and the dark voice said, don't you dare say what you're about to say. HR <laughs> <laughs> will kill you. All right. There's a freak. The insurance policies will go through the roof. And the bright voice said, you're an entrepreneur. It's your company. You can do whatever you want. You don't even have an HR department. And uh, so I looked at Tracy and I said, bring her in. Mm. Now, she had a look of bewilderment on her face. She had no idea what I was talking about. And I said, bring her to work. Wow. And she said, All day? I said, sure. She said, every day? I said, why not? She looked around the big open room that is Menlo and she said, Rich, where will I put her? I said, Tracy, she's three months old. She's not going anywhere. Just put her in a <laughs> seat on the floor wherever you're working and uh and she said but what if she makes a fuss i said crazy it's like a noisy restaurant here you know you'll never hear it right now, what's happening right i'm offering an idea to the mom and she's pushing back wow interesting 
So I looked at her and I said, Tracy, you know, she said, come on, Rich, what if you've raised three girls? What if she makes that big baby fuss that destroys the ambiance of the whole place? And I looked at her, I said, Tracy, you're the mom, I trust you. You'll do the right thing. We'll work it out together. Let's run the experiment. Mm. Mm. Now, as we set up for this podcast, you were working with Anna, my assistant. Yes. And strapped to the front of Anna was little Flynn, who's three months old right now. Flynn's been coming into the office for about three weeks. Uh, she comes in all day, every day. Flynn is Menlo baby number 21 in the last 11 years. Wow. And so this is a common practice. The experiment has been wonderful. The team loves it. Uh, you can't imagine the human energy that a baby brings into the room. Uh, does Flynn fuss? Yeah, sure. We just had a we had a conference call with my publisher today, and uh, and Anna had Flynn, and and of course when you get on the phone, babies just seem to know, right? And she starts squawking and <laughs> and, and we had to you know apologize that you're going to hear a baby in the background, and of course the publisher knows my story, so they they weren't surprised by it. Right. Um, but this has been a tremendous addition to our culture mm. here. We didn't know if it would work. We didn't know exactly what would happen. There were a lot of unexpected results. Uh, we found out that team members came to rescue the babies when they were crying. They'd wow. be like, it's my turn to hold the baby. You know, let <laughs> hold it. I can calm her down. Um, we found out that our customers behave better when there's a baby in the room. How they about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but the point isn't about babies, right? I right. mean, some organizations could do that. Others can't. I get it. I mean, if you run a smelting operation, you probably right. shouldn't have a baby in the, in the right. smelting operation. But, um, but it's about that idea that we should try things before we defeat them, that we should run the experiment and see what happens. And so for us, the baby experiment became a, uh, almost a siren call to I don't know. I don't know if it'll work. Let's try it. Let's run the experiment. And that became the theme of how we extended our culture over time. Wow. You, you know, um, Richard, as we wrap up here, there's so many other things that I wanted to get to. I, I have a I have a, a list of items that we could chat about. But let, let me say this. Um, as a millennial, one of the things that I have learned about, uh, and I don't think I've even shared this on the podcast yet, so I am the youngest of, of six, all boys, no girls, right? One of the things that it afforded me... Three all boys, no girls, so we, <laughs> we share the youngest boy in the family thing. <laughs> there you go. So, But one of the things that that experience had afforded me was learning from people who are older than me, um, from the good and the bad, right? <laughs> um and, and let me say this, uh, I've followed your career for probably the last eight years of my life. Um, what, what, I, what I appreciate about who you are is, is that I believe this, that line of run the experiment has literally been your life story as, a, as an executive. Um, it's bode well. I'm sure there are plenty of times you could probably write a book about all the things that went wrong. But the fact that those things went wrong speaks to the fact that you were willing to run the experiment. And I just appreciate you as a as a person, as a as a as a human being. Right. At the end of the day, that that said, I refuse to accept things the way they are because everything can improve. Uh, that is one thing that I've tried to live by that every day I wake up, I, 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 
you know, I refuse to accept things the way they are because I know they can improve every day. And I think that your company, what you've done uh, has been a, a, a bright spot, not only just for boomers who might be executives or other leaders. And I highly encourage anybody who has not had an opportunity to go see this company, to read Joy Inc., please go do it. Um, you know, put yourself in a better position to to be a disruptor in your own company, your own team, your own small department or your own large department. There's nothing that says you cannot try something new. Um, you don't have to be extreme with it, but you can create wrinkles that allow people to take notice of what you're doing. So, Richard, just thank you for that. And if you don't mind, just really quickly share with people when your new book will be coming out, what it's going to be about and what you hope the reader gets out of it. Yeah, so the new book is coming out on November 13th of this year. Uh, it is called Chief Joy Officer, How Great Leaders Elevate Human Energy and Eliminate Fear. And my hope is to give the world an example of what a organization can be like that is focused every day on creating the most palpable human energy inside the organization and simultaneously pumping fear out of the room instead of pumping fear into the room. Wow. What are the values that, that uh, are used to create that kind of environment? What are some of the practices that we've used and that I've learned from other great leaders like a David Marquet uh, to, to do that within organizations large and small? Mm-hmm. Wow, that, that, that is awesome. Well, listen, I, I look forward to it coming out. We'll probably just have you come back once the awesome. book drops. <laughs> um, but thank you for uh, just being, being who you are. Thank you for not only having uh, high-level wisdom, but also being able to share it with younger generations like myself and leaving an imprint um, that, that I, I, can't, I can't imagine any leader would not want to follow. So thank you for your time. Um, if there's anything that you would like to leave our listeners with, whether they be an executive or whether they be young in their career, I want to give you the opportunity to have the last word. Thank you, Chris. And let me uh, let me congratulate you on being the amplifier that you are. Thank you. Uh, you know, I can uh, I can spend a lot of days crafting Menlo, but without people like you in the world who are who are learning about us and taking that message and delivering to the world, you are creating a great impact in the work that you do. So congratulations Thank on you. that. Uh, and I will tell you that the most satisfying aspect of what has accomplished, what has happened in my life since this transformational moment where I crossed that bridge uh, and running towards safety and away from risk is uh, I have now reached a point where my kids are looking at me and they're older now. They're 34, 32 and 29. And they're looking at me and saying, Dad, you'll never retire. Wow. You're too much fun at work. <laughs> wow. That's and good. I like that. I, I like that because my work now inspires them to uh, a higher journey of their own purpose and their own reasons for pursuing different things in the way they work. Uh, it probably drives them crazy at times because they might not exactly get uh, what I've created, but I remind them that, uh, and I, I would remind your listeners as well, that um, you said it even yourself. You've learned good and bad things along the way from your brothers and probably from people you've worked with. Yeah. We need both. Mm -hmm. We can't just the positive lessons. We're, we, we inform ourselves through our negative experiences. Now, what we should do 
is when we see those negative experiences, tell ourselves, I'm not going to be like that. I'm right. not going to do that to others. I didn't like the way it made me feel. So, uh, so my encouragement is uh, collect your negative experiences. Don't let them define who you are from a uh, follow the leader kind of thing, but let them define who you are by saying, I now know better than I did yesterday what kind of leader I want to be when I get that chance to lead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, thank you for your voice. Uh, continue to push forward. And I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm a kid in the candy store uh, talking to a, a great, great guy uh, in this. So thank you for sharing uh, with us. Guys, listen, I, I, I would highly encourage you go check out uh, Menlo Innovations. You can definitely check out them on social media. You've also, you'll see it all across throughout this interview as well. Um, and do not miss out on the opportunity to read uh, this new book. I, I think it's important, but also if you have, in between time, if you just cannot wait, go read Joy Inc. as well. It is a fascinating look into a company that um, can be duplicated. So if you're an executive, you look at things, don't go what you cannot do. What lessons and what pieces and value adds can you take out of that and literally walk into your office tomorrow and start to change the culture where you're in? Thank you, Richard, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. All right. Well, I know if you're like me, these interviews become more than just uh, something to listen to once. You have to listen to it over and over. And listen, this podcast is built just for that. Go back, take notes, go back and think about some of the quotes or some of the things that you learned. What did you like? What did you enjoy? I would definitely say it is advantageous to you to ensure that you take full advantage of these interviews. And there's a couple of ways that you can do that. By one, obviously, you can definitely listen to this. We also are available on YouTube. Yes, you can go to YouTube right now and be able to see this interview live in person between me and Sheridan, uh, Richard Sheridan. You absolutely enjoy it. I would also say this as a, as a way to help us out, to continue to know that we are providing the content that you need. There's a couple of things I would really, really appreciate. Number one, if you leave us a rating on whatever platform that you found in a comment, that just makes sure that we're able to continue in the rankings. We're able to continue to build the type of platform that you know and that you love and care about. Secondly, find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at High Level Wisdom. Make sure you shout us out, follow, let us know what you like, and let us know if there's a potential CEO out there that you think we should actually go after to be able to have an interview right here on the show. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to get empowered. I hope you found this helpful. Well, until we talk again, I hope that whatever you do, I hope that you do it at a high level. Take care. Have a great day. And I'll catch you in the next episode.